0: Hello. Thank you for uh, being here with us today. Uh, my name is Yashar Shrady. I'm a pain physician at Ashton Clinic. I'm an associate professor at Ashnor Health System in University of Queensland Ashnor Medical School. I'm also a clinical assistant professor at Louisiana State University School of Medicine. This uh, podcast will explore uh, reoperation versus uh, neuromodulation. This is the title of this discussion and uh, an open and interactive webinar will then uh, be moderated by faculty from these uh, series of podcasts in a, uh, as a second series of jointly funded and conceptualized uh, projects from the education committee of uh, North American Neuromodulation Society and Congress of Neurological Surgeon Society. I'm here today with uh, our uh, guests, Dr. Stephen Flowski and uh, Dr. Rani Abdullah. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Dr. Flowski is a board certified functional neurosurgeon. He's a director of functional neurosurgery and uh, neurological associates of Lancaster. He's in the uh, board of directors into uh, National Neuromodulation Society. He's a senior advisor, past secretary of North American Neuromodulation Society President-elect Executive Pain Committee, Congress of Neurological Surgeons and Association of uh, Neurological Surgeons. He's the executive officer of a board, American Society of uh, Pain and Neuroscience as well. Dr. Rani Abdullah is a board certified pain physician. He's a president of uh, APICO Pain Management. And also he has been the chair of uh, North American Neuromodulation Society for the last uh, year and a half. A lot of accomplishments uh, from that uh, committee. Um, so as you see, both of these uh, gentlemen and our guests are very uh, well accomplished and leaders of societies um, with um, a lot of experience in neuromodulation and especially Dr. Flowski in neurosurgery as well. So this is a, these are the best experts in the field that probably we can get uh, have them to discuss and uh, lead us to improve the outcome in this particular topic. So, I think we should start with definition of failback surgery syndrome. Failback surgery syndrome is a term that describes um, as a group of conditions with recurrent low back pain after spine surgery with or without radicular component. This is, in fact, a misnomer because the clinical presentation may be caused due to mismatch between the patients' and surgeons' expectations prior to the surgery. And uh, since uh, failed back surgery syndrome incidence is not well studied, the available data is from old and sometimes ill-designed studies, uh, and um, the definition is not very precise. However, uh, the incidence ranges kind of accepted among experts from 10 to 40%. 40%. And the treatment has changed significantly uh, and advanced in the past uh, few years. So the big question is patient comes with these conditions and uh, this type of presentation, the choice between reoperation and neuromodulation is a subject of discussion and even debate uh, in pain and uh, neurosurgery society and spine surgery society. Um, and of course, the determination of the appropriate approach can vary depending on the patient characteristics, type of practices, or even specialties. Dr. Flowski, I'm going to start with you as a functional neurosurgeon. What is the success rate of reoperation for failback surgery syndrome, and how do you make the determination if a particular patient is a candidate for reoperation versus neuromodulation?
1: Yeah, it's actually a really good question. It's an interesting question, because it's, it's not a very simple answer, because as you uh, alluded to, fail back surgery syndrome, uh, it's kind of like a bucket. Um, there's so many things that can it can fit into there, and sometimes patients who've ever had surgery on their on their back before, even though their chronic pain or their new pain has nothing to do with it, we may lump them into failback back surgery syndrome. Uh, what I think is important is is to look at the patient specifically, and I think I'm a little bit unique in the sense that I trained in complex spine, but then I also trained in functional neurosurgery, minimally invasive procedures, spinal cord stimulation. So I look at patients very differently. And when I look at a patient who's had previous surgery and they're coming in, and even though you may see a pathology on the imaging, the, the real important question is, is when did their pain start? If they, went, if they still have the same chronic pain that they have before their first surgery, and now you have new imaging findings, that is not the answer for their chronic pain. So fixing a new finding on the MRI will not change the fact that they've been in chronic pain for five years. You need to treat the chronic pain, which is that's a neuromodulation candidate. I also believe that once patients have actually gone on to even have their first time spinal surgery, they've usually failed multiple conservative measures. So medications, time, physical therapy, injections. And then they came and they had the spine surgery. So by this time, they've probably been suffering for the pain for minimum six months to one year. One of the things that we've become very aggressive on in our practice is if you come out of the surgery with the same pain you went in and it's now three months post-op, we're already starting to think about a spinal cord stimulator because you failed all conservative measures. You've now had the surgery, which may be a technical success, um, but you have not improved and your pain is still the same. The worst thing you could ever do with a patient like that is keep continuing to try to image them. And then eventually a year or two later, they have adjacent level disease and then you operate on that it's still not gonna take care of their chronic pain. Uh, So that's how I specifically look at these patients.
0: Excellent. Wonderful uh, uh, perspective on that. Uh, uh, Dr. Abdallah, uh, as a pain physician and expert in neuromodulation, what do you recommend as a proper decision-making process to consider neuromodulation for patients with fail-back surgery syndrome from the view of a pain physician in collaboration with uh, neurosurgery or spine surgery colleagues.
2: Right, so um, the uh, decision-making process, in my opinion, should be guided by what has the best potential to, cause, to, to give us better pain, uh, patient outcomes. And I say that because, you know, outcomes are, are paramount for. Um, for us uh, in terms of uh, success of a physician himself. You know, uh, you can't be really considered um, a successful physician if, if you know, your patients are having bad outcomes. And uh, the second thing, which is really very related to the first, is you know, outcomes are very related to patient satisfaction. And third, in my opinion, very important uh, for the field of neuromodulation is the outcomes. Are paramount to the survival of the field and the thriving of the field. Because you know, if we end up explanting a ton of these, I think that you know the field is going to, to wither away uh, because of you know lack of coverage. To that effect, patient selection is really, really extremely important. So, first, you know, to me, criteria in terms of you know selecting patients is what kind of the pain does the patient uh, the patient have. And Dr. Falowski very eloquently You know talked about this essentially you know does the patient have pain that they had before surgery and you know there's no um, there's no reason to you know go uh, back and try to do the exact same thing and expect a different outcome after you just had something you know done you know uh, but also the nature of the pain and which is a, a little bit of a controversial thing at this point because you know five years ago if the patient was not neuropathic in nature or neurogenic in nature um, you know nobody would even try to do neuromodulation on it and essentially now this has shifted a little bit but what you want to know is that this patient does not have pure muscular pain you know because you know after back surgery there's plenty of patients who you know end up in braces for like you know three to six months for any you know kind of reason And then now they have these severe muscle spasms and neuromodulation is just not gonna do anything for that. So essentially a a neurogenic and potentially somatic pain that is not uh, related to anything mechanical in the back would be something that would be paramount for, uh, would be ripe for the taking in terms of uh, neuromodulation would be a good candidate for that. Another thing is that, you know, a really thorough review of systems for these patients, and I'm gonna go through like a few things that I think that, you know, would be problematic for and selection. If a patient is a, is a smoker, but not just like a chain smoker, somebody who, you know, you're not gonna be able to control, I think that's somebody that you really should think twice about on selecting for neuromodulation. If the patient is a brittle diabetic, Once again, I think that is a much higher potential for failure of the therapy and explantation. If the patient does not have good psychological um, uh, profile, meaning that the patient has comorbidities, the patient does not have a good support system uh, at home, I think that those are all patients that we should think twice about uh, before, uh, before having them you know, go through a, a trial, much less a, uh, a permanent implant.
0: I completely agree. It's a wonderful uh, explanation in uh, patient selection in terms of uh, neuromodulation. And I, I, I think with having Dr. Flowski on board, like he, it might not be an issue for him for being a neurosurgeon himself. But for us as uh, pain physicians, I, I think it's critical um, especially for this podcast you understand that uh, because majority of uh, some of the uh, listeners for this are going to be our surgeon colleagues, it's a collaborative effort between the surgeon and um, pain physician to find out if patient is a candidate for reoperation or not, if there is any hardware um, condition or instability in the spine or a new condition that patient will benefit from reoperation. And if those status kind of check marks are passed and patient is not a candidate for re-operation, then uh, you know, neuromodulation uh, becomes a serious candidate. And I totally agree that you know, like a patient has to uh, kind of be a candidate in terms of comorbidities, in terms of uh, outcome, success, uh, and psychological uh, status. Um, it's a very good point uh, from your side, Dr. Rand Abdallah. And Dr. Flowski, um I'm sure there, there has been a lot of uh, evolution in neuromodulation. And even from neurosurgery side, the outcome, the type of approaches uh, and technique has been changed for the last several years. A lot of data that we have to compare the results of the neuromodulation versus reoperation, operation are old data uh, not a lot of new evidence. What are the latest evidence in um, in terms of outcomes of reoperation, and also comparing the outcomes in neuromodulation to reoperation uh, for uh, fail back surgery syndrome?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The um, you know for for many years, and so now you go back well over twenty years ago that. But... The one study we quoted was what was called the, the NORTH study, which was a study that looked at spinal cord stimulation versus any reason for a repeat re-op or a reoperation. And what it actually showed was in this, this study was that in every single scenario, spinal cord stim was better than a reoperation. Uh, it was also then after a certain period of time they allowed crossover for that study. The majority of the patients in reoperation crossed over to spinal cord stim, while there was only two patients in spinal cord stim that crossed over for reoperation. That was the one study we used for a really long time. the The difference now, though, is especially over the last seven to ten years in, in neuromodulation, is we have really built up a strong evidence base with level one clinical evidence, multi-center randomized control trials, uh, looking at how effective spinal cord stimulation is. Uh, and, some of the new data that we're actually looking at, as well is in what we call virgin back. So maybe patients who um, who haven't had spine surgery yet, or maybe it's too early for spine surgery for them, or they have medical comorbidities. And what we're starting to show is actually really great results for these. And when I say great results, I talk about 70, 80% responder rates where patients are actually getting significant or high responding pain relief, uh, 70, 80% pain relief. Uh, so. The field itself has dramatically changed, and I think the, the last point I can make about that is the reason I think it has changed is because for years we we looked at neuromodulation as the next best widget. You know, Could you make a smaller battery? Could you make more contacts on an electrode? Could you make it go in easier? But we never actually changed the therapy itself. Over the last seven to ten years, we've actually uh, performed a lot more science and innovation on the actual therapy of stimulation. We now change the way we stimulate the spinal cord. We no longer generate paresthesias or tingling sensations. We actually have now data and uh, science to demonstrate that if we stimulate the spinal cord in certain ways, it's actually more effective for blocking pain uh, perception or actually creating inhibitory pathways. So uh, that I think has been paramount in actually what has changed in our in our field, and I think that's why now you're seeing more and more spinal cord stimulation uh, replace this idea of reoperation. And I think the last thing I can say about that is, it used to be, a, I think, kind of a misnomer that people looked at spinal cord stimulation as like this last resort therapy. You only think about spinal cord stimulation when I've done every single thing I can do to your spine and there's not a single place left I can put a pedicle screw. And that is the worst mentality I think to have. I mean, a spinal cord stimulator is meant to treat your pain now. Just because you have a spinal cord stimulator doesn't mean you can't have spine surgery later. I have plenty of patients that I use a spinal cord stimulator to take care of what I believe is a chronic pain that is not related to something structural that can be fixed, but they may clearly still have a, a, a spondy or mild to moderate adjacent level disease that I follow. And they eventually may need surgery on that, but there's no reason why they can't have a spinal cord stimulator during that time.
0: So. That's absolutely correct. I, I think that's a great uh, point that we have to always mention to the patients and uh, other specialty colleagues that this is a reversible treatment, and it doesn't really burn any bridges if patient down the road needs reoperation or any other surgical intervention. So that, that that's an important uh, clinical um, point uh, to bring up to uh, our patients and uh, uh, colleagues in the field, uh, Dr. Abdullah. Mentioning all the uh, advances in the uh, spinal cord simulation with the waveforms, like um, a closed loop or different type of, you know, frequency changes. Um, they have been uh, a lot of advancements and innovations in the field. Are there any other alternatives uh, other than traditional dorsal column neuromodulation for failback back surgery syndrome or anything in the horizon that you expect that will come out Will give us give our patients that are not candidate for neuromodulation, or in case they failed neuromodulation and they still are not candidate for surgical intervention. Right. So, um,
2: you know, like you said really early on, I think that um, you know failed back surgery syndrome is a is a, is an other misnomer, right? So, I mean, I think it should be called something like pain syndrome after post surgical pain syndrome or something like that, where you know, there is pain after, you know, some sort of procedure that persists. And, you know, um, it has, you know, and as Dr. Falofsky just mentioned, you know, uh, we had, uh, you know, that widget that we used every time somebody had pain after surgery, you know, and that was a kind of our only um, option. And now that we have, you know, more in the past, you know, five, six, you know, to eight years have honed in on the, the pain generators themselves and what, you know, their pathophysiology is, we have more, um, you know, cutting edge therapies that, you know, are targeted towards these specific um, pain syndromes, right? So, so some of these uh, things that happen after surgery, such as adjacent level disease and further spinal stenosis uh, uh, when patient has had uh, spine surgery doesn't necessarily have uh, to be addressed with spinal cord stimulation or uh, spine surgery itself. It, it can be uh, addressed with minimally invasive procedures such as intraspinal spacers uh, and, uh, and uh, minimally invasive decompression, which are still you know procedures, but for some patients, some subset of patients that first does not want to go through um, a, another, you know, big surgery, and who are potentially not, um, you know, fit to to go through the morbidity of surgery. Those uh, minimally invasive procedures can be really, really helpful and buy them, you know, quite a bit of time until, uh, you know, further notice. Another thing that you know has emanated in the past few years is that we're realizing that lower back pain after, you know, spine fusion has a generator you know, in the SI joint. And, uh, you know, recently, you know, SI joint fusion has come back into light, especially with the minimally invasive posterior approaches that have made it much more palatable to patients. And, you know, quite frankly, life-changing. Patients go in, come out, you know, an hour later or a couple hours later after, you know, surgical surgery center procedure, and they are, they are, have no pain, right? Another thing in the realm of stimulation as well, we're realizing that some of this pain that's uh, that's uh, happening in the back after, you know, spine uh, spine surgery or, or back surgery, is that, you know, there is a, a phenomenon of deconditioning of both the medial branches and multifidi. and then with peripheral nerve stimulation, either temporary or with an implant, we have uh, had. Uh, uh, you know, good success with patients having, you know, this, uh, these uh, muscles reconditioned and having patients, you know, with better outcomes after surgery. You know, there's other, there's other uh, uh, things coming out of the woodworks, you know, with, uh, uh, with different therapies that we hear about, I think. But the ones I mentioned have, you know, the more robust and, uh, and the ad- ad- adaptation by the field. Uh, as we speak.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, a lot of uh, great options uh, in terms of improvement, pain control, and also even, as you said, peripheral nerve stimulation for multifittus muscle to help with the uh, um, conditioning uh, of these patients, uh, especially the ones that have the multifittus uh, muscle atrophy or uh, fat deposition. And uh, a, a lot of uh, these patients can benefit from um prefer nerve stimulation other than um, as a separate treatment or an adjunct treatment uh, for these patients um dr uh, uh, flawski uh, you mentioned um uh, early on uh, as a first question you know determining the um, candidates for reoperation versus neuromodulation um what is your recommendation is, um an expert in neurosurgery and functional neurosurgery to determine an algorithm uh, in physician's mind to find out and stepwise decision-making to choose the perfect candidate, or I would say the the most appropriate candidate for either of these uh, treatment options. Yeah,
1: that's kind of interesting because uh... I don't think there's ever the most perfect candidate on either side for first initial surgery, reoperation, or even for neuromodulation. Um, but what I think is, is that you always have to, I think, first off, if you're always thinking about spinal cord stimulation, uh, I, I think it offsets the idea that you have to put a pedicle screw in everyone. And I jokingly say that over the years, uh, as somebody who was dual trained in complex spine and functional neurosurgery, that... My my role has sort of been taken on like a, a job of keeping pedicle screws out of patients, um, and so when I when I think about surgery or reoperation and a perfect candidate for that, I think about people who have structural instability or neural compromise. If you have one of those two things, I think spine surgery, open decompression, decompression fusion, is absolutely the way to go for that patient. Um, outside of that, if you have patients who have chronic pain, pain that you you cannot necessarily coordinate with, uh, correlate with the, the imaging, um, or it's kind of a stretch to do it. Those are the patients that you start be thinking of neuromodulation, more of these minimally invasive uh, type of procedures.
0: Uh, in particular, I, I see that this is kind of a case scenario that happens uh, a lot of times uh, in my practice, and I'm sure a lot of uh, pain colleagues and their surgery colleagues will see some of the patients will come and they have hardware issues. They might have a, you know, fractured pedicle screw or it might be a lucency in the hardware, but still they're not a candidate for reoperation because of the comorbidities or it's not as severe and patients still symptomatic. How do you see the expectation of the, you know, improving the outcome? Because definitely there's probably a mechanical component to that pain too, to have a success with neuromodulation.
1: Well, I think it's important to to set expectations with the patient. And that's true, whether it's for spine surgery or for neuromodulation. Um, I think the nice thing about neuromodulation is we have a we do a trial first. So you're, you're trying to give them realistic expectations of what it's going to do for them. If you get 50% pain relief during the trial, that's what you want to try to expect with the implant. Um, you know, no therapy, I think, is 100%. So even if even the most perfect spine surgery or pedicle screw fixation is never going to give you 100% relief. So it's important to set the expectation with the patient. One of the things we do in my practice as well as, especially even the first time we operate on a patient's spine for open decompression, open decompression and fusions, we set the expectation with them that we are here to take care of structural instability, neural compromise. You know, we may not be able to take care of your pain or all your pain. But then we also premise it with the fact that we have options for you if you still remain in pain once we've structurally stabilized you. So to me that's a way of actually setting up an expectation that you can't always expect 100% pain relief.
0: Absolutely. Great point. Uh, Dr. Abdallah, a last question for you and I uh, wanted to know as somebody who is very involved in the education committee of uh, North American Neuromodulation Society. Uh, what do you see the future of neuromodulation to improve the outcome and to prevent the general reasons for the failure of neuromodulation? You know, we have patients with uh, lead migration. We, we were able to um, kind of prevent a lot of those with improved with the anchoring and the type of uh, um, implantation. But habituation and similar. Uh, outcome failures um, have been improved with the new technologies, but uh, we don't know the long-term outcome of some of those new technologies yet. What do you see the outcome in terms of uh, improving the neuromodulation as a treatment option, uh, not just for fail-back surgery syndrome in or uh, for chronic pain in the uh, long-term future?
2: Right. So, um, this is a very interesting question, and I think that the answer is TBD. So my uh, <laughs> my uh, uh, crystal ball is broken. Uh, but what what I see is a field that has endless potential. You know, when I was a fellow, you know, if, you know, uh, six seven years ago, I there was three uh, companies that had the same therapy, and then you know. Um, a new waveform came and then a new, another waveform came while I was a fellow and then, and now we have, you know, research and all uh, new technologies, new waveforms, as Dr. Falawski, you know, said uh, at the very beginning, that are all based on true uh, uh, first, you know, bench to bedside, uh, truly through animal studies and and I see you know the future of the field just getting that much better. That's from the science standpoint. From the actual um, um, you know standardization and and, and minimization of uh, of uh, um, of errors, I guess in the in the field is that. You know, uh, Dr. Falowski is actually very integral to, to this process. Is that uh, at, at NANS, uh, both Dr. Falowski and I are involved in a certification process for spinal cord stimulation, and hopefully, you know, moving forward, uh, other therapies. So essentially, if we can create a um, a certification process where, uh, you know, fellows that are graduating and physicians that are um, that are practicing. Can go through a, um, a written and, and a verbal and uh, in-person examination process that gives them you know, the, the basics and you know, the, uh, what they need to be armed to go to be neuromodulators. I think that would put us at a much, much better situation to have patient to have patients uh, being treated by physicians who are certified, who know exactly what needs to be known about this therapy. And I think that the future is bright, uh, you know, from that standpoint as well.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Abdullah, Dr. Flowski, any last points from you regarding this question?
1: Uh, No, actually, I I have to honestly say, I just echo everything that that Ronnie said. I think he uh, very eloquently uh, uh, closed it up for us.
0: Excellent. Uh, Thank you so much. uh... Uh, gentlemen. Our, uh, uh, we, uh, we know that uh, it's a busy time to everyone uh, in their clinical practice and research, uh, so dedicating your time for this podcast, we really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, we will hear more uh, about uh, treating uh, these patients with a failback surgery syndrome and uh, uh, chronic pain post-procedure uh, or uh, even pre-procedure uh, patient population to help them with um, not only surgery and a side but the patients that uh, can benefit from neuromodulation and minimally invasive procedures. We really uh, think that the, uh, the key is collaboration between uh, different specialties, including pain physicians, spine surgeons, and neurosurgeons at the end of the day uh, to work together to improve the outcome for our patients and uh, improve the care and uh, health in, in the community. I would uh, like to thank you, our listeners as well, and the um, CNS and NANS societies uh, for this joint collaboration for innovative uh, content. Uh, Lastly, Dr. Flowski and Dr. Abdallah, thank you so much for your time and for your impact that your work had made in the field. I hope uh, our listeners uh, will be joining us and you will be joining us as well, both of you, in the future upcoming webinar to have a much more broader uh, discussion and interactive uh, um, discussions and debates with the rest of the uh, uh, attendees to the podcast series.